Welcome to Bass Edge Radio. Bass Edge Radio is keeping you on the leading edge of bass fishing tips and tactics from successful fishermen and professional anglers across the country. We have an outstanding show on tap for our December 2012 edition. The Bass Edge Podcast is presented by KeelGuard, the first do-it-yourself keel protector and supplier of many watercraft accessories that make great Christmas gifts to the boaters in your family. Be sure to like KeelGuard's fan page on Facebook and check out their entire line of products at KeelGuard.com. I'm your Bass Edge co-host, Kurt Dove, and as always, we have the founder of Bass Edge, Aaron Martin. Aaron, I am pretty stoked about chatting with the anglers we have with us today on the show. Let's tell the listeners who they are. Well, first up, we have recent BASS elite qualifier, Kevin Hawk. Then we'll join the 2012 PAA Toyota Texas Bass Classic champ, Brian Thrift. We'll ask Brian and Kevin about fishing early winter patterns and some of their known expertise on the pro bass circuits. Remember to stay on top of the latest information on Bass Edge. Go like Bass Edge on Facebook. And also, let me remind listeners they can send their questions to info at BassEdge.com or post it on Facebook for the opportunity to hear your question answered on the show. Bass Edge listeners, especially with Christmas around the corner, be sure to log on to BassEdge.com and check out the entire line of educational DVDs. They're the perfect gift for the fishermen in your family. All you bass fishing fans. Addict. Stay tuned for more Bass Edge Radio. Get her like that, that boy. Good job. Well, I don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge of bass fishing. Guys. That's full contact fishing right Man. there. Conditions are going to be tough, but we'll catch them. This is, this is a good place. It's all about figuring it out. What do you think of that, huh? Yeah. yeah. Oh, did you see yes, that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. <laughs> Holy cow. You're listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing from the Bass Edge Studios, high above Table Rock Lake in the Missouri Ozarks. My, how things change over the course of one month. You know, Kurt, here we sit uh, looking out the window, and what do we have but what is known as a freezing fog that's coming in off the lake. And for those of you who are not familiar with that, that is essentially when the temperature is below freezing, and you've got the fog, and it actually starts freezing on the trees and the leaves and everything else. But, you know what? The sun's coming out, so that's probably not going to last too long. Well, Aaron, you got to count me in on not being familiar with the freezing fog. Holy cow! Fog's coming off the rock and right into your window, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's typically uh, does not uh, promote good visibility. I can tell you that. Plus, the other thing is, if you got to run, it's it's absolutely miserable. But you know what? It's uh, just in time as Christmas is around the corner. And Kurt, I am sure that you have 100% of your Christmas shopping done. Yeah, I haven't even started. I'm still fishing. You know, you got to remember, I'm down here in Del Rio, Texas, and it's chilly. It's gotten colder. But it's not close to cold enough to keep me off the water. So I'm out there pounding away, trying to catch those fish, and uh, have started to think about Christmas a little bit, but uh, not even close to done with my shopping yet. So how about you? How's it going with your shopping for the family and all those things that you've got going up there in Missouri? Well, you know, since I only have one person to buy for, I can say that I am 100% complete and accounted for. But, you know, you, you throw that past Diana, and I'm sure she would tell you something else. So I tend to let her do all the heavy lifting when it comes to the Christmas shopping. But, you know, 
I can tell it we are certainly getting close to Christmas just by you know looking at some of the numbers that they make me aware of on the orders that's coming in and and this is a great time of year I think that a lot of people especially if you're up north you've got ice on the lakes and unless you're an ice fisherman it's kind of hard to make a cast into the frozen stuff but uh, a lot of people get caught up on some of the education a lot of DVDs going out the door especially that deep fishing DVD that gets into the electronics and you can really tell people are trying to raise their game come 2013. Oh yeah you're not kidding when it gets a little chilly down here in Del Rio the first thing I do is slap in some of those Bass Edge DVDs from the old shows and uh, I'm able to put some of those tips and tactics from those DVDs to use next year so a great time of year to be checking those out. I got a question so you know you were talking about Diana a little bit earlier what is the one fishing product that you had to put on your Christmas list to give to Diana this year? Ooh, that is a good question. You know, normally when we get to talking about others buying me stuff pertaining to fishing, I, I normally go the route of a gift card just to make sure I actually get what I want. But this year's a little different, and, and it's not because we don't have any endorsement by them or anything else. But I, I'm anxious. I want to spend some time, a little bit of time with that HydroWave and see if, if that changes the course of, of my deep fishing and kind of get out there in January and actually just do a little testing. Yeah, the HydroWave is an interesting product for many that I know haven't tried yet because you don't see a ton of them on the front of boats, but it's just like those power poles, you know. Everybody's got to have a power pole nowadays, and they're on every boat out there. And I think you're going to start seeing those hydro waves mounted on the front of the decks of those boats more and more as the future comes down. But I tell you what, on my Christmas list, Aaron, I agree with you. I like the gift card idea. You know, I need probably about 10 fishing reels, and we all need 20 or 30, right? But I know that that's that's out of the realm. I certainly, Santa would not grant me with 10 reels, but but if I could get a reel or two, and, and then I like your idea about the gift card. I think that, you know, I'm going to be sure to add to my Christmas list that my wife can get me a little gift card to get some real cleaning done so that uh, some of those old reels I've got in the box and in the rod locker will feel a little bit newer next year. So that'd probably be on my list. Well, that's a good point. And, you know, certainly wintertime for those who are hands-on, do-it-yourself. I know there's a lot of good cleaning products out there now. A lot of guys use this time of year to basically start cleaning the reel and start doing a lot of maintenance on their equipment to help kind of combat that cabin fever. But you know what? It's not all about staying inside, Kurt. There's still a lot of good fishing to be had. Yeah, you're not kidding. Down here in Del Rio, the fish are going to bite all year. And, and just like every lake, whether you've got, well, if you've got ice on your lake, you might want to stay off of it. But uh, <laughs> I know you, you don't deal with too much ice in the middle of the country. And certainly we don't deal with uh, any down here in the southern part of the U.S. But I really like to use this time of year, winter fishing, you know, typically out deep. And what I get the most out of this time of year is using my electronics. You know, huge part of fishing deep, using your electronics. If you can just get out there for a little while and really dial some of those things in and maybe find a few of those areas that are going to produce some fish this time of year, but also might produce a few fish when the fish get back out deep next summer. Trying to put all kinds of puzzles together and and just kind of keep learning more about my lake here at, at Amistad and everyone else could probably use the same thing when they're fishing their lakes at home. Well, from now really up through all the way into the spring, this is my favorite time. It can be a little unbearable. Make sure that you've got your life jacket on at all times, especially if you're going to be out by yourself. Cold water is nothing to mess around in, but I can tell you, you know, I've talked about it in years past, that hair jig, you can go back and listen to uh, previous episodes around the December, January time frame, but that is one of the things that I absolutely love to do, putting that little hair jig on a drop shot, lowering that down. The other thing is that ice jig, Kurt, and you know, you bring up about using electronics. That is one of the things that if they won't get on the traditional worm or drop shot style, I'll go to that hard ice jig, let it sink, you fish it vertically, it's a wicked looking thing, and literally 
little difficult to fish in the trees because it has that tail hook on it and has the the nose hook and then also the belly right. hook. But you're not uh, you're not doing that on yourself. Tail hook, nose hook. No, <laughs> no I, you know I, I was thinking uh, I just really haven't got into the the body piercing and and tattooing. But you know I was thinking that we could get you to adorn a, a nice big bass edge tattoo, maybe on you know on your chest or you know something like that. Well, I'll tell you what, if you catch your PB this this winter on that ice jig, you, you got to promise me to go into the body piercing because that's, exactly <laughs> that's, like. that's right that's right but uh no that is that is one of the things that i love to do and it's just an absolute bone jarring strike when they hit that and just raising that up letting them come after it but also on the fall that's when you really know that you have a school that's going to be active is when you're dropping that ice jig or that spoon you know that we talk about so much and you see those bass just come streaking up and just absolutely take the rod out of your hands yeah and it's amazing you bring up those three different types of techniques with the ice jig, the spoon, and the drop shot, and and what a huge difference. You know, you don't think that, well, you're vertical fishing, so you've kind of covered that if they didn't bite, but, you know, changing those lures when you're seeing those fish down there on the graph, it can make a huge difference. I've seen in the past where I'll be fishing a drop shot and, and trying to get those fish to bite, and it's just not working, and just out of frustration, I pick up a spoon or something like that, and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm loading the boat. So you think of vertical fishing, you think of it kind of being one-dimensional, but there's several different lures that can be applicable in that technique and what a huge difference they can make when you're not getting bites and you change over and then all of a sudden it's Katie bar the door they're all over the place on those lures so uh great stuff about talking uh some winter fishing this year on your home lake winter fishing is often you know you have a lot of synergy with finesse fishing in the winter time because those fish might not be moving a whole lot and and sometimes not real active to hit those reaction baits but we've got a great fellow who can tell us about some finesse fishing kevin hawk is going to be on the show and we're excited to talk finesse fishing with kevin hawk stay tuned to bass edge radio you know the importance of protecting your investments so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat grinding sand abrasive rocks and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology Keel Guard Keel Protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard Keel Protectors. Hey, this is Kevin Van Dam. This is Brian Maloney. This is David Walker. This is Scott Canterbury. Hi, this is Chris Lane, and thanks for listening to Bass Edge Radio. This West Coast Rooted Angler has had some amazing success the last couple of years on the professional bass circuits out on the eastern half of the U.S. The 2010 Forest Wood Cup champion and recent qualifier for the 2013 Bassmaster Elite Series, Bass Edge, is glad to have with us Kevin Hawk. Kevin, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks, guys. I'm glad to be a part of it. Kevin, congratulations again on qualifying for the 2013 Bassmaster Elite Series. It seems as though you might be making a switch from the FLW circuit over more to fishing some more of the bass event circuit. Is this where your fans can find you in the years to come? Yeah, I'm definitely going to be making a move from the FLW Tour to the uh, Bassmaster Elite Series this coming year. Um, I've taken a lot of time to, to weigh my options and look at my different opportunities, and I just feel it's, a, it's the right move at the right time for me. Kevin, you know, professional anglers really have a lot of different uh, choices and options on how to approach their careers. Can you identify a strategic move that really has provided 
your success and kind of put you over the hump up until this point? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you guys know, I grew up in, in California fishing West Coast events, and it became obvious that I, I knew I needed to move back east at some point if I really wanted to have an opportunity to pursue you know, professional fishing full-time. So when I decided to move back east to Georgia in the fall of 2009 when I qualified for the Forestwood Cup, that was pretty much the defining moment in my life where I knew I was committing 100% to try and make this work. And I'm just grateful and blessed that it did. Well, that's awesome. You know, that's a huge move to make, and uh, obviously you made the right decision. This year you had a spectacular season on the Bassmaster Southern Opens. Uh, you finished the year as the year-end points champion. You placed top 10 in all three events. You know, our Bass Edge listeners really would love to hear what are some of the keys to your success in 2012, enabling you to catch so many good fish, big fish, and just outbeat your competition so thoroughly this year. What really helped was relying on my instincts. I can point to the first Southern Open on Harris Chain, for example. I'd found two areas in Griffin uh, in practice that I felt were actually one area I felt like had a lot of potential. I had several good, good bites, four or five pound bites in practice, and really made up my mind beforehand that I was going to spend my entire tournament in that area. I also had a small backup area that was within a half mile from where I was fishing my primary area, and I only had two bites there, and I didn't hook any of the fish. But that first morning when I ran to my primary spot on Griffin, you know, things just weren't happening. And I probably killed about an hour, hour and a half, and there was a lot of boats in the area, and I could tell that for some reason things were just off. And I decided to pull up the trolling motor and run to this little backup spot I had, and and that proved to be the right decision. I ended up catching 75% of the weight that I ended up weighing in all three days off that backup area without ever seeing a fish there in practice. So, you know, as an angler, I really look to rely on my instincts. And as time has gone on and I've done it more and more, it's something I'm more comfortable with. Hey, Kevin, you know, you bring up instinct. And I think it's something that Kurt and I deal with every single episode concerning making decisions. What advice can you give to us as recreational anglers on developing those instincts to where you have that? as a resource kind of in your toolkit to say, aha, I need to do this or I need to do that? Well, the best way to develop your instincts is by spending time on the water. The more time you spend on the water, the better that your instincts are going to help you. And it's all about recognizing, you know, previous situations or previous experiences that you've been in. So when you go to, say, for example, a new body of water or you're preparing for a tournament on a place you're not really familiar with, you can call on those previous experiences you've had on the water where circumstances were the same, and that helps you build and rely on your instincts. Say, for example, there was a body of water close to your home where you always caught them on a certain technique because the water was clear and shallow and there was a lot of cover around. Well, when you go to a new body of water for a tournament and you see those same type of situations, you can draw on that and that helps you as an angler. So it's all about spending time on the water to build those instincts. Are you relying primarily on memory or are you keeping notes? You know, as many hours as what you spend on the water, I'm sure that's a lot of information to keep track of. You know, it is. And as the years have gone by, I've really reduced my note-taking and relied more on memory. Having the opportunity to fish on a weekly basis all year long, I found myself becoming much more efficient just relying on memory and instincts rather than note-taking. Um, the problem with note-taking is if you get too specific and start to rely too much on it, you know, you expect to go back to a certain place and catch them the exact same way you did, you know, a year or two years ago, when in all reality, even though it may be the same time of year, things are different, things change. So while note-taking can be just a good general way of keeping track of, you know, what type of patterns produce when and what bodies of water, I wouldn't rely too heavily on it. And if you have the opportunity to get out on the water a lot, 
thought, I think that your memory and your instincts will serve you better than detailed note-taking. Well, I know your preference is to spend, you know, large amounts of time pre-fishing a body of water. To kind of take our earlier question one step further, how do you compartmentalize that information you gather during practice that really translates over into success in a tournament? Well, it really depends on the body of water. I mean, probably, you know, preparing for the Forest Wood Cup, I spent 10 months on Lake Lanier, which was an absurd amount of time for a tournament, but I had the opportunity and I knew the Forest Wood Cup had an opportunity of helping me further my career. So, you know, I made the commitment early on to spend as much time as I could on there. But typically, I'm dealing with three days to maybe at the most seven days of practice for a tournament that may not have any off limits. And I always like to get as much as I can in. And as far as categorizing the information that you see on the water, if you're fortunate to have a week, you can be a little bit more thorough. You can cover a lot more water. You can try several more techniques than if you were, say, for example, practicing for a tour event where you only have three days. When you only have three days, it changes the game a little bit. You really have to be efficient with your time. I like to keep, you know, the confidence base on the deck of my boat. That way I can just focus all my time on covering water and really trying to find the fish. When you're working with three days, it's more about finding the fish and, you know, even going into the first day of the tournament you're still kind of in practice mode to a degree sometimes. So you need to pay as much attention as possible and be as efficient as possible. And hopefully, you know, you make the right decisions. Kevin, a little bit earlier, you talked about fishing a small lake, maybe by your house, and then being able to utilize that information, you know, when you go to another body of water. And then you talk about your confidence baits there just shortly ago. What have you found as your confidence baits when you're looking at specific types of water that you can utilize and kind of broaden that horizon? Obviously, you know, where I'm getting to is you come from the West Coast and then now you've brought all this great success to the East Coast. What are some of those techniques that you've brought over to this side that have really helped you? You know, when you go to attack a body of water that you haven't been in, more instantly in practice, not necessarily in the tournament, but what really gets it going that you can actually just start putting some fish in the boat and start utilizing that information? Sure. I mean, growing up in Southern California, I fished a lot of deep, clear reservoirs. So naturally, a drop shot was a big, big tool for me and something I grew up with fishing constantly. So I was able to bring the drop shot with me back east. And, you know, just because you're fishing back east doesn't mean you're always fishing shallow, dirty water. I mean, there's plenty of reservoirs back here that have deep, clear water. Some prime examples are Lewis Smith Lake, Lake Lanier. And those places are perfectly suited for a drop shot. So when I come back east and I see the different bodies of water back here and I see things that recognize myself and my home waters, then I'll gravitate and pick up the techniques and use those techniques to try and catch fish, the drop shot being the biggest one of them. So, I mean, the drop shot is something I always have on the back of my boat, regardless if I'm fishing deep, clear water or shallow, stained water. I mean, I'll just change up the presentation on the drop shot, make a shorter leader, have a bigger worm, and heavier line is all. So the drop shot has been a big key for me. And it's something that, you know, really serves a huge role for me in in practice and catching fish back east as well. Hey, Kevin, as recreational anglers and limited time, work schedules, those type of things that um, we're trying to manage jobs, family, our fishing time, kids, soccer events, what have you. What do you think the biggest nugget that's out there that recreational anglers tend to perhaps overlook or bypass in route to put fish in the boat? Like you said, a lot of us don't have the opportunity to spend as much time on the water, you know, as I do, since I do it for a living. A lot of us have full-time, over-full-time jobs, kids, 
soccer games and everything, and there's very little time that you have to go and enjoy fishing. So for those reasons, you want to make the most of those times and be as efficient as possible. So the biggest thing I could recommend for that is to really focus on, even if you don't have a lot of time on the water, you still have confidence baits, baits that you get bit on every time you go fishing. And you know that, hey, if I have this bait or presentation working for me, I'm going to catch fish. So I would really work on having a few different confidence baits that are going to cover different scenarios, different parts of the water column, different water clarities, and really just stick with those same techniques and baits and you really utilize those a few times that you do get to go fishing because obviously, you know, the times you have to go, you want to catch as many fish as you can. So I think that would probably be the best way to focus on that. Kevin, you talked a little bit earlier about drop shot fishing, and uh, I think some of the conception is that drop shot is deep fishing. Do you ever use your drop shot while fishing shallow? And, and when you're out fishing deep, how critical is your electronics? And how did you go about kind of learning those things? You know, uh, again, we're going back to talking a little bit about some of the weekend anglers out there to try and help them. What are some of the keys, too, about using your grass? that you can kind of provide them that they might be able to come more proficient at that technique in a deep water fashion? Sure. I'll touch on the deep water fishing with the graphs first. I've always used Lowrance electronics and I'm extremely happy with them. They come great out of the box on the factory setting. I don't really do a whole lot of tweaking. The only time that I'll really mess with the factory settings is if I want to possibly increase or decrease the sensitivity is all. Basically, what you want to do is when you're standing on the deck of your boat with your drop shot rod in hand and you drop your drop shot bait right below the boat underneath the cone of your trolling motor, you want to be able to see your line and bait fall on your graph. As long as you can see that, then you have your unit set up right. And like I said, you may just need to tweak the sensitivity a little bit, but most of the time, the factory settings will put you in the right place. You know, I'll fish a drop shot as deep as over 100 feet of water. However, I'm not fishing it on the bottom, but I may be fishing for suspended fish that are anywhere from 40, 50, even 60 foot down. But I'd say 90% of the time, my vertical drop shot fishing over deep water takes place between anywhere 20 to 40 feet. There's very few circumstances that I'm, I'm fishing deeper than 40 feet. And if you can see your drop shot fall straight down on your grass, that also you're going to have the sensitivity to see the fish on the grass. Um, this is especially to instruct the spotted bass. They do a lot of moving and a lot of streaking, and that's going to be very visible on your grass. So it's almost like playing a video game. You want to try and drop your drop shot down to the fish, ideally right above them. You don't want to drop it below them. What I like to do is I like to try and place the weight eye level with the bass. That way, your drop shot bait, whether it be six inches or two feet above your drop shot weight, they're always looking up. So that's going to be the best view possible, and that's worked out best for me. To touch on shallow water fishing with a drop shot, I really like to basically flip and pitch what I call a bubble shot. And what I'll do is I'll just put it on a big casting reel with 15 or 17 pound of fluorocarbon with like a six inch fat head, fat straight tail robo worm or something comparable to that. And maybe like a three sixteenths or quarter ounce weight. And I'll pitch it around tulies, pitch around brush piles, anywhere in a shallow visible cover. And uh, a lot of times, especially on a, a pressured body of water, that'll really get you a lot of bites. I think a lot of times people view a drop shot as something that's slow and patient and probably in deep water it can be like that but I think the way you describe that shallow water drop shot fishing you could probably use that as a power technique and cover a lot of water fishing in that fashion. Yeah absolutely it's a great way to cover water and you know especially for co-anglers who may be fishing a tournament behind somebody who's pitching a traditional Texas rigged creature bait or a jig and you're trying to find a way to get bit behind them you know that would be a great way to do that is throw a drop shot right behind them. Well Kevin here we are in the midst of uh, December, you know, certainly a lot different than the climate of Southern California for much of the United States. 
certainly colder in a relative term, but finesse fishing often plays a major role in winter fishing. In your past experience, what fish behaviors do you identify in the winter as being really kind of the prime for finesse fishing, and how do you approach those? Well, what I've noticed for wintertime fishing is, is the fish tend to not move around a whole lot. Say, for example, Lake Lanier. You know, those fish will stay in that deeper brush throughout the winter. You know, they have their food source there. They feel comfortable. It's just a matter of trying to get them to bite. I mean, obviously, when you're dealing with colder water and colder air temperatures, the fish become a little bit more lethargic. So it's important to really just spend your time and making multiple presentations to an area. You know, a lot of times, like in the summertime, if you drop a drop shot down to a spotted bass in a brush pile, it'll bite on the first drop when they're, you know, the water's warm, they're active. In the wintertime, if they're, it's a little bit colder, the fish aren't quite as active. Sometimes it might take two, three, or four drops. So you hear a lot of guys make the statement that, hey, you want to make a lot of multiple presentations to the same piece of cover. That can be true whether you're throwing a square bill on a lay down up on the bank or dropping your drop shot down in a brush pile 30 feet on the bottom. The same rule applies. You just want to give them an opportunity to keep seeing the bait, keep seeing the bait and really coax them into biting. Kevin, you know, I found to your point right there as far as keep presenting the bait, a lot of times, you know, I, I don't know if you want to call them tire kickers or what, but, you know, I'm sure you've seen it to where you lower down the bait, they move and they'll come up and look, but they really won't commit to taking the bait. And oftentimes, if you kind of raise your rod tip five, six, seven feet, sometimes they'll follow it. And if you can get them moving, that's a good thing. And like you said, reel it back up and maybe drop it back down. And when it's falling down and when you hit it the stop, it just creates that reaction bite. Is that kind of of what you're referring to? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you kind of touched on it right there. A lot of times what I'll do, especially when spotted bass fishing, you'll see the fish on your graph and you drop your drop shot down and they won't bite it. What I'll do is I'll reel as fast as I can for like four or five turns of the reel handle and then immediately open my bail and let it drop down again. And a lot of times when you impart that extra action, that's what it takes in order to get those bites. So you definitely want to play with your retrieves and constantly change things up until you find something that draws a strike. And then once you get on that, you can duplicate it and, and run with that pattern. Well, and oftentimes, once you get one to bite, it fires up the whole school. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can go from a situation of, you know, having zero fish in the boat, pulling up on the right point, right brush pile, getting a little school fired up and putting a limit in the boat in a matter of 10 minutes. I mean, we've all been on the water when it seemed to happen that quick. And that's definitely one of the scenarios where it can happen for you. Well, Kevin and Aaron, those are some great tips. I really like that tip about the... Uh, uh, reaction on the drop shot. Great stuff. Kevin, we are really glad you could be a part of the show this month, but before you depart, we have a listener question from Ben in Star, Idaho. Ben asks, my wife has asked for a pair of polarized glasses for Christmas. She is tired of me being able to see fish in the water that she can't. The issue is that she doesn't want a pair of the expensive ones that I bought back in my bachelor days. I'm looking to spend 50 to 100 bucks. Any specific recommendations will be appreciated. Thanks for your help. Yeah, Ben, that's a good question. I'm glad you brought up polarized sunglasses. I mean, I can tell you that if you're going to buy any pair of sunglasses, if you spend any amount of time on the water, you need to make sure they're polarized. Not only does it reduce the glare, it helps you see in the water better so you can see the fish better, but it, you know, it helps protect your eyes. Spending as much time as I do on the water, polarized glasses are an absolute must. As far as recommending a specific brand, I mean, I personally work Canon. Um, I really enjoy them. They have the SR91 lens technology, so the clarity is razor sharp. They're lightweight. They're durable. They actually have a really stylish female model that your wife might be interested in. It's called the Bolsa, and I think they retail for like $130, but if you get on eBay and find a pair for probably $100 or less, I would definitely look in that direction. If there's one thing I've noticed over the years, it's the importance of polarized sunglasses just to 
help protect your eyes and help you fish better. So I think she would definitely be happy with those. I think Kurt uh, actually has a pink pair of those, don't you, Kurt? I use I use the pink lens. Oh, oh okay, okay. Sorry, my yeah, bad. Yeah. My All bad. right, Kurt, Kurt, hey Kevin, that's for that then. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I'll, I'll be like a K pink, you know, like, like Kevin Short there on on the, uh, the tours. He's all pink everywhere. He's actually, I think, got a pink pair of Costas. So uh, maybe it's a new fad. But anyway, Kevin, great answer for our listeners to digest. Really appreciate it. Ben, thanks again for sending your question to Bass Edge Radio. Well, Kevin, thanks so much uh, for being on Bass Edge. Uh, I know you're anxious to get back out on the water. Anything you'd like to add before we shut this down? Uh, no, guys. Uh, I'm anxious to get back out on the water, but I really enjoyed my time and hope we can do it again soon. Well, hey, everybody, we owe you a break. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio. At Legend Boats, we have one agenda, to build the finest bass boat on the water. It's our passion. Our hand-laid hulls and zero-tolerance stringer and transom system give you a smooth, dry ride, even in the rough stuff. The Alpha 211 with its massive fishing platform. The Alpha 199, fast and stable. And coming soon, the Alpha 191, a 19-footer with a style, attitude, and a price value all its own. Legend Boats, catch the wave, ride with a legend. Now you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge, Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com. Hi, I'm Brent Chapman, 2012 Bassmaster Angler of the Year, and you're tuned in to Bass Edge Radio. Well, certainly we appreciate those thoughts from Kevin Hawk. And, Kurt, the reality of it is we only have so much time to be able to figure out what the fish are doing. And, frankly, you know, to our earlier point during that interview, a lot of us don't have the luxury of, you know, seven to ten days to go figure out a body of water before we're going to be hitting it. You know, sometimes we have a day, two days, three days at most. Yeah, that would be a long time for most of us trying to hit it on the weekend. I think oftentimes we got a couple hours. <laughs> you know? Exactly. We need to figure out this thing quick. And, you know, Kevin talks about some really important things there. He talks about shorter amount of time that he's being able to spend on the water, potentially before tournaments, especially now that he's qualified for the uh, Bassmaster Elite Series next year, and uh, he'll be fishing those. But we can relate that right back to what we're doing as far as weekend anglers trying to hit that water. And he specifically talked about utilizing his confidence baits, putting uh, a few rods on the deck of the boat or taking a few rods to the lake or just a few baits to the lake that you have had success with in the past and then trying to find or utilize the cover that's available that's applicable to those particular tactics. Let's say uh, spinnerbait fishing, for example. You know, I love the spinnerbait fish. You know, it's it's a great way to cover some water really quickly. You know, I might take a willow leaf blade or a uh, Colorado blade because I'm not sure how my lake's going to react after or maybe I had some potential rain or something of that nature. But being able to utilize those baits and then changing some things up, maybe winding a little bit faster or a little bit slower to try and get some of those reaction bites and utilize and move along the bank really quickly or move along a specific cover really quickly to be able to have some quick success. Yeah, I tie that right into a couple episodes ago was Brent Chapman talking about just efficiency, time on the water. You know, the major difference is of being efficient, move in, move out, 
Don't become emotionally tied to any one spot or any one bait and make sure that you continue to cover water. And that ultimately, I think, is going to help put more fish in the boat. Yeah, exactly. He talked about, you know, covering water quickly because he is one of those shallow water experts. And if you're covering shallow water and you're fishing some specific areas and they're not biting, if you've made some multiple casts to a piece of cover or a piece of structure, you could sit there and wait for the fish. But, man, that's going to be a long wait potentially. So I'd much much rather move on and and, uh, look for some more things to hit and try and find some fish that are a little bit more active or maybe maybe just there's no fish there so you got to just keep moving to find some fish that are utilizing the type of cover or the baits that you have confidence in to uh keep moving on and, and have success so good point kurt and speaking of moving on let's move right on into our next interview with brian thrift right here on bass edge radio Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. More Bass Edge in 30 seconds. Under the lily pads in a lake near you. Live bass happy and free until one man with a huge resume and immeasurable experience building the finest rods in the world changed everything. Gary Tobbins offers three full lines of tournament winning rods. The Champion Extreme, Champion, and Savvy Series. Dobbins Rods, when fishing is more than a hobby. This is 2012 Force Wood Cup winner Jacob Wheeler, and you're tuned in to Bass Edge Radio. Our next angler this month is coming off a monster win at the Professional Anglers Association's Toyota Texas Bass Classic. Bass Edge welcomes Brian Thrift. Thanks, Brian, for being on the show. No trouble at all. I'm glad to be here. Brian, the Toyota Texas Bass Classic is arguably one of the toughest fields put together every year in professional tournament fishing. You came back from a, well, really a, a, a large deficit to win the event on the final day. What was the key to not only your winning catch on that day, but really just to put yourself in that position over the course of competition there at Lake Conroe in Texas? The biggest thing for me in that tournament this year, this was the fourth time I fished it, is just having the confidence, just going out there fishing, knowing that that lake can get tough. It's full of giant fish but you just got to get five bites. As many big fish as there are in that lake, if you fish hard and cover a lot of water, a lot of you're going to catch one or two good ones. Well, explain when you say as far as Lake Conroe, because I'm, I'm kind of right there with you. You know, I've heard a lot about it. I've actually fished it. You know, I know you've got somewhat of the river situation and then obviously the big, what I call the main lake that's down lower. But for those of us who aren't familiar with Lake Conroe, can you give us kind of a bird's eye view of of what to expect should we go there? Yeah, Conroe is is a wonderful lake and it's really got everything an angler would want to fish except grass. And I heard it used to have grass. I mean, it's got docks, sea walls, a lot of rock, a lot of flats. You can really pick your poison and fish any style you want to fish on that lake. And that's what I tried to usually do when I would first go there the first couple of years. I would try to get dialed in on a pattern. But the more I fished that lake, the more I kind of 
put the puzzle together and seen that it fishes a lot like the little lake back home. There's no current on it. You just have to jump fish. You have to catch one off of a rock, run a mile, catch one off a dock, go to a brush pile, catch one there. It really fishes more like a pond. There's no rhyme or reason as to where you're going to catch one. You just got to fish everything. And to me, that's what makes it such a fun lake to fish. So it's almost uh, like a natural lake that's down south. Right, exactly. There's really nothing you can pinpoint there. You just got to cover a lot of water and fish everything. And Brian, on that last day, you know, you brought in that huge sack, a 25-pound bag. Based on what you did the first couple days of competition versus the last day, did you find yourself maybe slowing down a little bit more, speeding up? I mean, you know, being a fall event, we all know that fish can get a little tricky that time of year. So what were some of your keys to how you put together that winning catch on the last day that you did maybe a little bit different from the first couple days of the tournament? Really, the last day, I did the same exact things I'd been doing the other two days. The Lord blessed me with some big bites. I mean, I fished the same areas through the same baits. The first day of the tournament, it was hot. I mean, super hot. No wind, just slick, calm. I mean, balmy conditions. And then the second day, a front started coming in. And the last day, the wind's blowing 20 mile an hour. It's cloudy, raining. I mean, it's just a nasty day. And those big fish got up there and started biting. Now, was that a deal where, where maybe some of that wind you're talking about and some of that nasty conditions helped you on the particular stretch that you might have been fishing in that tournament? Did you have a lot of wave action or those types of things that you felt like keyed the fish up a little bit more? Yeah, I definitely think that got them fired up and got them a lot easier to catch. I've been catching some good ones early on a buzz bait, and I went to my main stretch where I was getting that one or two big bites early, and as soon as I set the boat down, there's waves crashing over the bow, and I mean, it's just you're not going to catch them on a bus bait when it's like that. So I picked up a crankbait and a chatterbait and caught a couple there. And that just kind of set the tone, got me calmed down. I caught a couple good ones there again early and gave me the confidence to go fish the rest of the day and knowing that if I got two or three more big bites, I'd have a shot at it. Well, Brian, right. when you say that the waves were crashing, you know, those are, and, and coming over the bow of the boat, that's those are big waves. Generally, do you find that helps, hinders, or really no effect when you're targeting bass? I think it helps a little bit, especially on a lake like Conroe where you don't have current. I guess they don't generate current, so there's really no water flow on that lake. And when you get a good hard wind, it's going to be just as good as current. The wind's going to move the water around and kind of position the fish a little better and stack them up on things. Brian, a little bit earlier, you talked about finally getting enough clues to uh, put together the puzzle after your fourth year fishing event. Curious, how much time do you typically spend on a lake to feel comfortable prior to a competition? Well, usually three days, you're going to sample a little bit of everything a lake has to offer, and that's the style I like to use. If you get more than three days, you kind of tend to spread yourself too thin, and you get too much going on, but three days seems like to me, that's the perfect amount of practice time. <laughs> After spending all those previous years fishing the event, were you able to utilize some of those things that you had seen previously in the years that you had spent there now that you came to such great success in this last year that you fished? Yeah, I did because I'd marked a lot of brush piles and rock piles and just stretches of docks where I'd caught them the previous three years. And I didn't even practice on anything where I'd caught them in the previous three years because, you know, I already know what's there. And, and that lake sets up as a good running gun style lake. If you know there's a brush pile or a good dock, you can run in there, make three or four casts. If you don't get bit, go somewhere else. So I've spent the whole time this year in practice just looking for other places where I might get one or two bites. And then whatever I found in practice, I just kind of 
paired it with what I'd already found. And if I was fishing somewhere that I had some other brush piles I already knew about, I would run in there and make three or four casts. And just a, a lot of running and gunning and two or three casts because it seems like the way those fish set up, you're going to catch them quick if they're there. Well, Brian, you had mentioned earlier the term junk fishing. And obviously, we, we talk about this all the time. There's terms that we use in bass fishing that's like if you're kind of not inside of the sport, you may not know what that means. Can you help us understand what your interpretation of junk fishing is and really the circumstances that help you to kind of formulate that as when to do it or when not to do it? To me, I view junk fishing as anytime the fish aren't really on a pattern. I mean, say if you go to the lake in the spring and the fish are pre-spawned and you're running points, I mean, that that's a defined pattern and that's something you're going to do all day. But when there's no real pattern, when the fish are real scattered and you have to catch one here and one there, and that's what I determine is jump fishing. I mean, you're running around fishing 20 different types of structure, throwing 15 different baits. <laughs> so basically it sounds like you're just utilizing whatever bait is applicable for whatever junk, you might say, that, that you're pulling up to, whether it's a laydown log or, or maybe a grass line or something of that nature. You're just kind of picking up baits that you've either had success with in the past. Is that how you generally decide what bait that you're going to use for a particular location? Yeah, the way I decide my bait selection is it's very cover dependent. Like if I pull up to a dock, I'm going to skip a jig under it. If I run out to a rock pile, I'm going to throw a crankbait on it. If it's a good seawall early in the morning, I'm going to start out throwing top water. It's more like fishing the moment. I mean, you just, you see a piece of structure and in your mind, you think, oh man, that looks good. I need to throw this right there. So basically, if you have 22 rods on your boat that morning, you know it's probably not a good day, huh? You're going to be out trying to junk fish. <laughs> well, in a sense, but I mean, some of the best tournaments I've ever had have started out just like that when I'm not really on nothing. You just go and fish the moment and cover water and stumble across things. <laughs> do, you, do you ever have a certain circumstance where you start off the day like that? You know, like Aaron just mentioned, you know, 22 rods on the deck and, and you just start doing some stuff and all of a sudden, you know, you're not sure exactly what you're going to do. So you do start junk fishing and then you start finding or putting together a pattern throughout a specific day that occurs as well to you. And if so, is there an example you can provide for us? That definitely occurs. I mean, a lot of times when you're junk fishing like that, that helps you find the patterns, especially on lakes that are current-driven where the fish are set up in predictable places. I mean, you can start running more places just like that. Say you start out in the morning in the fall and you're throwing a square bill crankbait on rocks or something like that. I mean, you run four or five different types of structure, like say you're fishing riprap, then you start fishing points or something like that, or flats, and then once you get a couple of bites on one particular type of structure, you can run four or five more places like that and try to put it together. I usually go by the rule, I mean, one bite's kind of an accident, and if you get two bites, it's a coincidence, three bites is a pattern. Brian, having you on the phone today, you know, you talked about throwing different baits, and a few years back, you kind of introduced the fishing masses to the uh, bladed swim jig, you know, like a chatterbait or pure poison type bait. And interesting, many anglers in your part of the country, you know, Chris Bumgardner or Todd Alton, you know, you've all had great success with this style of bait. I was wondering if you could break down for the Bass Edge 
listeners the best seasons to use uh, the bladed swim jig and what are some of the ways that you like to fish it successfully? I've caught fish on it year-round. I mean, winter, spring, summer, fall, it doesn't matter. You can usually find a bite on it pretty much year-round, especially if you've got a little color in the water. But hands down, my favorite time to throw it is a pre-spawn type event where you've got a little colored water in the lake. That seems to be when they bite it the best. Around my part of the country, over in North Carolina, around March, middle to first of March when you get a little colored water and the water first starts warming up in the low to mid 50s, that's when it really shines. Is there certain circumstances where you use a quarter ounce versus a three-eighths versus a five-eighths, you know, kind of breaking down when you would use a particular size of a bladed swim jig and also maybe a few trailers that you specifically like uh, that you've had really good success with? I throw a half ounce year-round on every type of structure. It doesn't matter if it's two inches deep or 20 foot deep. I'm still throwing a half ounce chatterbait. To me, it's more versatile. I mean, if you go to a quarter or three-eighths, you're kind of limited that three to four foot of water. And when you get onto a half, you can still burn it up shallow, but then you can slow your retrieve and get it on down there, you know, eight or ten feet. So I usually stick with a half. And as far as trailers go for the chatterbait, the options are limitless. I mean, you can really put anything on there. A fluke, like the fluke style baits, like the Damiki Armor Shad's one of my favorites. I like to use either that, which doesn't have a lot of action. It's just kind of a straighter profile, and it allows the bait to get a little deeper. And then something that's got little moving appendages, like a Zoom Speed Crawl or the Damiki Knockout, something that's going to actually swim behind the bait. Just anything in those two categories is what I stick with the most. I mean, you want to have something that you can fish deeper, like I said, with the fluke, and doesn't provide as much lift, and then something that's going to flap and have a little more action, which when I use the baits like the knockout and the speed crawl, I like to use that a lot shallower, especially around grass, anywhere you're going to have bluegill and stuff like that under docks. And the fluke style baits, I like it more in the fall and when you're fishing around a shad type pattern. Brian, you know, here we are December. A lot of things going on. Deer season's winding down. Christmas forthcoming. Snow in some parts, but certainly cold predominantly versus the spring and the summer. Fishing can become really tough for a lot of anglers. Do you kind of still play to your shallow water preference or are you going to get out of that skinny water and go to the deeper stuff offshore and see how much line you've got on your reel? I'm going to sample a little bit of both. In my experience, there's always fish shallow. And it seems like, especially in the winter time, when the fish are up shallow in the winter, it's usually big fish. I mean, you're going to be fishing shallow for not a lot of bites, maybe seven to eight bites a day. But I feel like you usually have a chance at one or two good fish, which in a tournament day, especially in the winter when it's tough, I mean, if you catch a limit and then can get two or three good ones, you're going to be in pretty good shape. And that's what I tend to like to do. But now that the Alabama reefs came out, you've really got to sample some of the offshore bite in the winter time because that's when they seem to bite that bait the best. So you got to play both cards in the winter now. And when you say offshore, what's the things that you key in on? On a wintertime bite offshore, I'm looking for bait fish. I don't care what's there. There doesn't have to be any structure at all as long as there are bait fish there. I feel, I have confidence that there's more than likely going to be bass there. Great stuff. Hey, Brian, we're really glad you could be part of the show this month. But before you depart, we have a listener question from Ben in Star, Idaho. And Ben asks, My wife has asked for a pair of polarized glasses for Christmas. She is tired of me being able to see fish in the water that she can't. The issue is that she doesn't want a pair of expensive ones I bought back in my bachelor days. I'm looking to spend 50 to 100 bucks. Any specific recommendations will be appreciated. Thanks for your help. 
me and my wife had this conversation a year or so ago. I've been with Kenon now for a couple of years, and I got her a pair of the Kenon glasses, and she absolutely loves them. That would be my suggestion. Just anything, go to Kenon.com and check out some of their different samples. What are some of the things that anglers can really get out of polarized sunglasses that they aren't getting in just wearing a regular pair of glasses while they're on the water? So that we can use Ben's question to kind of explain to other folks why it's so important to get a good pair of sunglasses. To me, a good pair of polarized sunglasses, it's going to make the fishing day a whole lot easier. Even if it's cloud or it doesn't strain your eyes as much because you're constantly squinting and just straining your eyes. I mean, it's just the eye relief. I know really the first time I was introduced to polarized sunglasses, I was down at Santee Cooper, and I just had a regular pair of sunglasses, and at the end of the day, I had the awfulest headache I've ever had in my life, and I couldn't place it. I was like, it wasn't rough. It wasn't a rough boat ride. I don't know why I had such a bad headache, and then I went and bought a pair of polarized sunglasses, and I hadn't experienced that since. I think it's just that you're always squinting when you don't have something to knock down that glare like polarized glasses, and then plus, it gives you a clear visibility into the water. I mean, you can pick out different things in the water. I use Usually use two different color lenses. I like an amber lens and a yellow lens, and I use the yellow lens when it's cloudy and the amber lens when it's sunny, and that seems to provide me with the best of both worlds as far as comfort and the ability to see fish in the water. Well, certainly, you know, in any sport, not just fishing, Brian, I mean, I think you said it best, uh, your eyes play a vital role in taking care of those, and uh, I just wish they had polarizations for when Kurt and I are together, you know, I kind of get tired of looking across the table at him, but you know what, so we digress. Uh, hey, Brian, thanks so much for spending time with us today. Any closing thoughts before we head out of here? Tie on your favorite baits this winter and get on the water. I mean, just because it's deer season doesn't mean the fish quit. Well, that's exactly right, and uh, certainly cold weather can bring out the big ones. Hey, you know what? Stay tuned. Bass Edge Radio will be right back. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard keel protectors. Why did they consistently win? Why did they know about all the latest and greatest baits? BassTackleDepot.com, of course. BassTackleDepot.com is your headquarters for all your bass fishing needs. With over 100 different manufacturers in stock, including Dobbins Rods, Bassaholics Clothing, Boat Bling Cleaning Products, Black Dog, Pepper Baits, Gene LaRue, Jackalure Company, McCoy Line, not to mention a talented staff of hardcore anglers ready to assist your every need. It's no wonder Bass Tackle Depot is where the pros shop. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio with Aaron Martin and Kurt Dove. Talking almost the entire episode, Kurt, you know, about all of this deep fishing. And, and one of the things that stuck with me out of Brian's interview was just reminding us that there are always 
some shallow fish. You may not get as many bites, but normally it's going to be a good one. And if I think back to our last episode with that interview with Marcus Sakura talking about the jerk bait, you know, and that wind blowing in on the bank, and once you find them, chances are there's going to be a little pot of them right there. Well, that mm-hmm. gets me excited to get out and throw a jerk bait. Yeah, I like the idea of the big ones being shallow. That's going to draw me there for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, you know what? I just want to remind all of our listeners who are on this side of Christmas, be sure to log on to BassEdge.com as we have a full assortment DVDs, Kill Guard products, everything that you could possibly imagine that makes some great stocking stuffers. And also, don't forget, we still have that deal with BassTackleDepot.com. You can save yourself 15% off your entire tackle purchase simply by entering in the promo code BE, as in Bass Edge Special, at the time of checkout, and that will save you 15%. Aaron, it's been an awesome show. Again, thanks for having everybody with Bass Edge and thanks Bass Edge listeners for being a part of Bass Edge as well. I'd like to say sayonara to episode 150. I am Kurt Dove. Happy holidays to everybody and we're looking forward to being back in January 2013. Adios from Bass Edge Radio. The Edge is presented by Kill Guard Kill Protector. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit www.bassedge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, BassTackleDepot.com, PowerPole, Dobbins Rods, Mercury Outboards, and Rapaholic.com.